Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. Hi. <coughs> Hi. Good morning. Good morning to you. Too. Well, at least it's not like, you know, uh, what what time do we normally do this? Like Nine. Uh, it feels Ish. like 5 a.m. every time. <laughs> I know. We're going to get up at we're 5. We're a couple hours late. And talk about something interesting. No, yes. we're going to sleep in until noon. <laughs> I was not sleeping in this morning, but we are doing this a little late. So thanks yes. for being flexible. Yeah. Well, and that's no problem. I was like, oh, when you when you sent me the text message, I was like, oh, I don't want to miss a week. Uh-huh. I like doing this show. Right. It's fun. It's an outlet. Plus, and people listen. I'm kind of impressed. Yay. Hi, so, listeners. Hi, listeners. So I'm Kevin and... <laughs> Kelson. And uh, this is The Sins Well, a weekly talk show about whatever we want to talk about. <laughs> exactly. Whatever we feel like talking about. How's your week? Pretty good. So what is this conference that you're doing? Well, I'm attending the Montana Nonprofit Association Conference. Um, They're a statewide organization that basically has a membership of all sorts of nonprofits all over the state. So there are literally every kind of nonprofit you can imagine that are members of MA. And every year they hold a big conference where they bring together people from all over the state to learn about various nonprofity things. So that's what I'm doing. It's at the Red Lion the next three days. Or Fun. Yesterday and the next two days. And I'm just here on a lunch break. Nice. Yeah, yeah. and they didn't feed you. No. Oh, I offered oh, you well. a sandwich. Oh, well. I'm From hungry, Jimmy people. John. From Jimmy that might, I'm hungry, so it might determine how I engage in this podcast today. Hmm. <laughs> yes, that's And how was your week? Um, my week has been really, really busy because, of course, I haven't really had a day off. Right. Um, we had the show all last weekend. Uh, opening so weekend. Opening night on Friday, which was awesome. Saturday was awesome. Sunday, the matinee was interesting. Um, the show was really good. It's just an interesting audience because it's, it's an older audience and the show is definitely not in their comfort zone. Really. Right. And my parents were at that show. Oh, wow. That was that was their fun. first? Uh, their first time seeing me or first time seeing Avenue Q. Well, it was their first time seeing Avenue Q, but it wasn't their first time seeing me on stage. Right. But their first time seeing Avenue, Avenue Q. Q oh yes. Yeah. And my dad was a little bit upset because he laughed so hard. He missed half the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm like, boy. go watch it again. Um, so but, the, cause I went on Saturday night. So how would you describe the difference in audience from Sunday to a, or a, you know, nighttime um, performance? it was very, uh, the joke and it's totally racist, but the joke is it's the Asian audience. They don't really make any noise. They just smile and nod. You know, so it's hard really? to get feedback. Really? There was no laughing? Well, there was some, but it wasn't nearly as much as Saturday night. And Saturday oh. night was boisterous. They were very happy to be there. There were some were drunk people. <laughs> um, you, there might have been some on stage. <laughs> Not me, but there might have been. Yeah. Uh, the temptation was definitely there. It's like, how are we going to do this show? We're going to, it's powered by vodka. So uh, Yeah, Saturday night's audience was very boisterous yeah, and engaged. And, and had a blast. And Saturdays, it, you know, Saturdays are always like that at, mm-hmm. at Street. Um, Fridays was like that too. You, mm-hmm. you of course, write your screening, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Saturday was awesome, and then Sunday was really good. There was nothing really wrong with the audience, except for that they're they're a more staid mm-hmm. audience. You know, a little bit more reserved. I think they still had fun, mm-hmm. although we did lose a couple of people who, right after um, my girlfriend in Canada, right after that song, apparently they did not come back. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, remind me of the song. Uh, oh, I wish I could wish you could meet my girlfriend, my girlfriend who lives in Canada. Right. Her name is Alberta. She lives in Vancouver. She cooks like my mother and sucks like over. <laughs> <laughs> and they left mysteriously. Hmm. Yeah. So there were a couple of people I'm that sure were they just offended, had to be and um, we haven't actually heard any of the comments that people have been sending to Grand Street, like any of the negative ones. But I'm sure there are some because you know it's one of those plays that it hits on subjects that people are uncomfortable with, and that's going to happen. Absolutely. Um, so, but when I was at the show on Saturday night, there was actually an older couple sitting in front of me. You know, maybe similar to what you would describe would be attending on Sunday. And they were fully engaged in laughing. And when the uh, boob kind of um, life thing was going across the TV, you know, oh, the, indicating life, whatever that's called. <laughs> Lucy's uh, EKG line. <laughs> right, EKG. Which looks like two boobs. Which, yeah, they thought joke. that was funny. They could stop laughing. So I think, you know, it all depends it on people's personalities and right. humors. So. Right, and there, there weren't a lot of stick in the muds. Right. And, and that's nice. You know, you are dealing with a play that talks about sex and growing up and... How you deal with stuff. It also but, talks about racism and all kinds of other things. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. It's a really good play. It's a lot of fun. That um, was probably the most shocking song to me was just the song about everyone's a little racist. bit racist. Yeah. Everybody's a little bit racist. Well. Which you, is true, but it it's is. also like it's in a song form. So <laughs> I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> so what did you think overall of the play? 
I thought it was great. Um, obviously, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's interesting to watch actors and puppets right. at the same time. So um, I was with my partner and about 15 minutes in, I was like, I just have to watch the puppets for a while. And then I just have to watch the actors because it was too distracting for me to be trying to like... Well, you should both. just be watching the puppets. Exactly. And what was funny for a lot of people, we've gotten this note from people, they're like, after about the first 10 minutes, we forgot to watch the actors. Went, exactly. You're not supposed to watch the actors, yeah. so that's fine. So it took me a while to get there, um, but because I think it's the first time I've seen something live with puppets. That's not live. uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was hilarious. I thought everybody was really well suited to their characters. Um, we have a pretty damn good cast. Yeah, it was. it was really good. I was, you know appropriately shocked and awed at different <laughs> points. Um, I think the thing that uh, I left with, in addition to like having the songs running through my head at various times, was I can't believe I just watched puppets have sex. <laughs> so there's lots of good stuff, there. but there's one put scene. Put your finger there! There's one scene when there's actually puppets having sex, and that made me a little bit uncomfortable. And so, really? is there a term for people who like watching puppets who have sex? Uh, a God, I'm sure there is, but I'm not going to Google it. <laughs> exactly. So that was a little strange. But I'll leave that to other people. Yeah, I definitely thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought you were fantastic. I was thinking, like... You're, you've talked about how it would be hard to sing in that voice or talk in that voice in a regular, mm -hmm. like, ongoing manner. And definitely, like, you're having to really strain your vocal cords to do that. I'm actually I think not. all of them in certain ways, all of the cast members seem to be kind of adapting their right. voices a bit. You have to do a character Which would voice. be definitely, like, it would take training to get into that character voice all the time. But also, I would imagine it would kind of be taxing on your... Um, throat or vocal it can or be when I first when I first got cast as Trucky, I was like, eh. you know, I really liked the role. I was really happy to be cast, but I was really leery about what it would do to my voice because you know I've sung along with the album for years mm -hmm. since it came, since the recording came out, and um, Trucky's voice is very difficult to do. Well, well, especially if you do it in the style of the guy that originated the role on Broadway. Mm -hmm. um, he's a lot harder on his voice than I am. I have a couple other ways that I can make that monster sound that are not hard on my voice mm -hmm. and. Um, I've actually gotten better at it because I'm doing the show, so I'm, you know, I'm working at it. But now when I can't sing along with the CD anymore because I try to make the other voice, which sounds similar enough that people don't really realize that I'm doing it differently, <laughs> but it's structured different in my throat. Huh. And it's so much harder on your <clears throat> vocal cords. So I'm actually not too bad. On Monday, okay. I actually had a choir rehearsal with the Helena Chamber Singers. Wow. And... Um, it was nice to, you know, I'd missed the first rehearsal because it was tech week and it was nice to be in rehearsal. They asked, you know, well, how does it feel to be back? I'm like, I'm so happy to be singing for more than 10 minutes in a voice <laughs> other than Trekkies. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was really good. I've told everybody I've seen afterwards that it's a great show and they should go out and see it. Um, I was surprised that more people weren't there. Like I was there on Saturday night and it wasn't a completely packed house. So, but it was you know, actually sold out. Yeah. Like the people that weren't there just weren't there. They had tickets and meant to be there, but yeah, something I, came out. cause, uh, I tried to invite some other people for Saturday night and they said it was sold out and whatever. So just want to make sure people know that they should go out and watch it. Cause it's great. And how often do we get sort of raunchy comedy opportunities in Helena? Well, the legislature comes back every other year. <laughs> true, true. Exactly. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Womp, womp. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so on Friday night you went and you had the screening at the Myrna Loy. We did. We. Um, How did that go? Now, you had seen the movie before, right? I had. When I went so to So you that. know what you were in for. Did everybody else? Hmm. Good question. Um, I actually did not stay and watch the film again because it is really moving and emotional. And at the end of that week, you know, I'd already had, sorry, I had already had my conference and whatever. So I was pretty exhausted. So I didn't stay and watch the film, but we did have a table outside um, with some information. And I think I was really disappointed to see the turnout. Um, so like I said, the Myrna Loy is running it all this week. They ran it all weekend and this week. Hopefully more people turned out and saw it. But I think on Friday night at the seven o'clock show, we only had about 12 people there. Um, and I don't know how many showed up for subsequent shows, but I was disappointed to see that there wasn't more of a turnout. But it's hard because in Helena, on any given night, there's so many events, so many things for people to choose from. And, and that particular night, there was a lot of like other sorts of progressive events. And so that may have affected turnout. Hopefully the people have gone and seen it since then. I think people who I talked to have 
been to it, um, had a similar experience that I had, which was it's, it's really, um, moving, but also you kind of feel like, what are you supposed to do with a system that's that big? Right. So the military is this huge system and the film really talks about how there's ways in which that system doesn't really work in this particular instance. And so you leave the film really being motivated to try to do something because you think it's such an injustice that these things are happening. But I know for me and other people, it's like, but what do, where do you start? How do you actually make a difference in something that's so institutionalized, you know? Um, but we'll see. Hopefully it'll spread some awareness and and right. Well, I know there is a big push out at the Guard, uh, Montana National Guard, uh, both Army and Air, mm-hmm. um, to combat this because the statistics are just overwhelmingly yeah. high. Well, and I think that those sorts of local responses can happen. So individual states or individual, um, you know, Army divisions or military divisions really can do certain things. But one of the things that the film highlights, which you should try to go see it if you haven't, um, is that structurally the way that they deal with sexual assault accusations is problematic um, in these cases. So these cases highlight the fact that the way that the structure is set up in terms of responding to actual reported cases is problematic. So for instance, in the film, there's a situation where uh, military personnel is assaulted by her commanding officer Right. Mm -hmm. And the way that it's set up in terms of dealing with sexual assault accusations is that it goes through chain of command, starts with the commanding officer, goes to the, you know. Oh, that's changed. No, it's. it's, No, that that has changed. Now reporting goes to an actual team called the sexual assault response team. Um, it doesn't go not reporting. I'm not talking about oh. reporting. I'm talking about like, uh, yes, the reporting goes to certain people and then it kind of works its way up. But the adjudication of situations, mm. like the person that gets to decide whether or not someone is guilty or, you know, intervenes in that sort of process, um, may not be the direct kind of supervisor, but might be the command supervisor. And of course there's lots of language that I don't have memorized, but there's some structural issues. I wonder if they haven't memorized a lot. So there's some structural issues in terms of, you know, it would be like, um, if you worked for the prosecuting attorney's office and the person who assaulted you is the prosecuting attorney, where do you go to get that case dealt with? Right. You have to have like, you know, plan B situations set up for those sorts of decisions. It's also, it would be like expecting the judge in a local community to have an unbiased perspective if it was the lead prosecutor in the community. No, so, or his son. Right. So exactly. In the military framework, there's just some problems in terms of how cases get adjudicated. And that was really highlighted in this film. And that's so. the kind of stuff that they're trying to figure out nationally, like what would be a solution that, like a local command can't really figure out. They can try to problem solve around it, but it's a structural problem that would have to happen in terms of how the military deals with the issue. Right. Well, it sounds like internal affairs at a police department. I mean, you end up with these people that are the police's police. Yeah. Well, and what the film also highlights is that, you know, perpetrators, people who have a tendency to perpetrate violence or sexual assault, they have a knack for finding the right places to fit themselves into the world so that they would have more opportunity to do this. So there's also some information about like what's the rates of perpetration within that sort of structure where you have ultimate authority. So, you know, it's kind of like in the domestic violence world, we look at um, police or other sorts of criminal justice personnel who are domestic violence perpetrators and how does somebody navigate that system if their perpetrator is a police officer, you know, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all military personnel or police officers are offenders. I'm saying that there's a issue with how people who tend to perpetrate also, you know, oftentimes will purposely put themselves in positions where it would be more feasible to do so. As evidence, the Catholic church. (laughs) Hmm. 
Hmm. So that was the documentary, and I hope more people will see the movie. I'm sure there'll be other opportunities. I don't think it's available online yet, but invisiblewarmovie.com is the website. Cool. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, which apparently nobody goes to because I was looking at the <laughs> stats. Everybody's downloading it, but downloading the shows, but nobody's going to the webpage. I'm like, eh, whatever. Well, they still might, you know, yeah. hear what I just said and yes. go there. So. Absolutely. Invisiblewarmovie.com. So, so, yeah. That's what's going on. Well, that's cool. So uh, what else is in the world around you? Because here's the other thing. I've been so busy with work and with the play that Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Twitter. (laughs) Like I caught the other day, I saw something about the 47% and a bunch of people were pissed off at Romney and said, oh, I can't believe you did this. And then I saw something from Paul Ryan saying that he was inarticulate. And I'm like, if your VP is done, generally you put the inarticulate one as the VP. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just... I feel like most of those sorts of things that, you know, break out on Twitter or all over Facebook right now are the kinds of things that I end up hearing about secondhand. Because uh. like you, I have a life. I'm busy. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I've actually been, you know, I literally have no free time right now between knocking on doors and work and whatever. And all of the sort of behind the scenes campaign stuff that you end up doing where you're like putting together a mailing for 3,000 voters. And, and your billboard. Stuff. Exactly. The billboard is on its way. So I haven't I, even seen the artwork. I'm so bummed. I'm, the first time I'm going to see this, it'll be up on the... up on the. Yeah, maybe it's going to be a surprise. Huh. Hmm. I see how you are. Yeah. I get nothing. Uh, nothing. You see how this... This is why we do a show together. So I get nothing. Well, it's going to be pretty standard. It'll be my logo and my picture and some basic, you know, vote for me stuff. So it's not that... Cool. ...advanced. But it will be the billboard. I found out, like, you know how Helena High has a billboard, like, in the parking lot that's right on Montana? hmm It'll be on that. Oh, nice. That's actually a great one. Facing north? Facing if you were uh, coming from the valley. So facing north. So because you'd yeah. be coming from the north, yeah. Pat, driving south. Um, what was I saying? You distract me. Oh, secondhand. So I don't really read any of these things firsthand either. And where I get it is like I see posts on Facebook or Twitter. So the only thing I know about the Romney thing is that apparently he was um, secretly recorded at some fundraiser, which, oh boy, trackers have sure made a difference in politics. You know, trackers are the term for people like the opposition party always hires a tracker for different candidates or political people and they basically follow that person around and and -hmm. i don't know if that's what happened in this situation but it sounds like it's probably what happened um and he was quoted as saying these different things yeah i was i was trying to watch and listen to the tape but it's romney speaking and i fell asleep twice so (laughs) oh so you actually know there's a tape (laughs) there is a tape it's on mother jones um and it's split in two parts there's like two minutes a minute and a half two minutes missing Mm. and you know everybody on the right is upset about that and they're like well you took out the parts where the where he doesn't say evil things it's like well He shouldn't be saying evil things regardless. I have this theory about politics, and mm-hmm. this is this is kind of what cracks me up about me, because you know what kind of a person I am. I'm loud and obnoxious, mm-hmm. and I say what's on my mind. Um, but very early on as a kid, I learned the lesson that don't write it down and don't say it or don't email it unless you're willing to stand up in church and yell it across the church to your mother. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not willing to do that, don't say it. You know, and it, it, I'm sure it strikes people as odd that, that coming from me because they've heard so many odd, obnoxious things come out but of my you mouth. Would stand but I would stand it. up in church and say it. Right. You know, everything that I say, I mean. You know, and sometimes, yeah, that means that I, I say stupid things. I, I fully admit it. But I yeah, apologize for not I'm always articulate. Right. And I apologize if I'm hurtful or if I'm having a moment and I just lose my mind. Mm-hmm. But. He wasn't he wasn't in a situation where he was being attacked. He was talking at a dinner and he was just talking. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are the things that he thinks. Apparently. You know, and I, it's like, okay, that's how you see the world. You should definitely not be president. Well, and you shouldn't run a And part of either. like we talked about authenticness last yes. um show and I think that that's part of it. I mean, I think Romney's problem is that he says one thing, acts another, says one thing, takes it back. Like you know, I mean, to a certain extent, if you're going to be in those situations, deciding to just say, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. More, I think in general, more Americans appreciate, like, they may not responsibility like what you said, but and ownership. You. Right. It's like, okay, so you, you said this thing I don't agree with, but at least you owned the fact that you said it. You're not trying to reframe it. You're not trying to right. take you know, it back. Right. You know, like, um, act like we're the ones that are crazy because we heard what you said. Right. You know? Because we heard the words that came out of your mouth. Yeah. We have tape of it here. Let me play it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just, it's one of those things that it, the, the people who are 
upset the most about it are people on the right. The people on the left are going, yes, that's exactly how he is. And no shock. That's why we're not voting for him. Exactly. And the people on the right are, well, you can't put that out there. Why? It's what he thinks. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like it, or if you think it's wrong, then don't vote for him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. You know, but I also look at these politicians and and we have a severe case of this in the in the state too. Where these politicians who think that I have to put up a front. You know, I have yes, to I have do. to I have to make something other than what I am mm-hmm. to get elected. And I think that that is a recipe for failure. I mean, love or hate Brian Schweitzer. Uh. Love or hate him. He is who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he is that bombastic. And yeah, sometimes he's kind of a bully and, and he can come off as a jerk. And he's very much at the forefront of saying things exactly how he sees them, whether you agree mm-hmm. with him or not. This is who he is. You always know where you stand with him. Always. And that's part of why he got elected. Right. Bipartisan support. Right. And it's because even if you don't necessarily like him, you look at him and go, well, at least I know where I stand. Mm-hmm. I'd rather know where I stand with somebody than than vote for somebody just because they seem nice one minute. You know? Yeah. Well, the reason I sighed loudly, <laughs> listeners, is I think my perspective on this has really um, become even more deep um, as somebody who decided to run for public office. So I'm sure I've whined about this at some point on the I don't show. Think you, I don't think you've whined about how you run for public office or the changes that you've had to make. I mean, I know you I don't did. think I whine about it, but I do think that there's this... Um, I can see why people, good people, who are authentic and who generally, you know, say what they mean and mean what they say, when they decide to run for office, they start becoming something else. And the reason I say that is because as somebody who has been running for office now for a year, there is so much opportunity and pressure to say what people want you to say or what they're telling you to say or what would be easy to swallow, all of those things, because ultimately it becomes all this pressure about getting elected. And in my experience, that's had its days of difficulty. Like I... I hope that come November 7th, I can look back over the last year and say I was true to who I am and true to who people know me to be the whole time. Um, But it hasn't been without a lot of energy and commitment to trying to stay that way. And it happens in these really subtle ways. So, for instance, as a progressive Democrat candidate, I have lots of other progressive organizations or entities who are wanting to talk to me about what they care about and whatever. But there's also all these expectations that you will say exactly what people want you to say on certain issues, right? And mm-hmm. for me, at least, there are issues that I'm having to talk about or be asked about or, you know, I'm being evaluated on that aren't issues that are like um, fundamental to my experience. So ask me something about violence against women or other sorts of human rights issues. I'm going to tell or you exactly what I think. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be informed, right. but there's some things that are, I'm new to and I'm still learning. And so it's really easy to just be like, well, this is what I think. And this is what I'm going to say about whatever, because this is what everybody has told me I should think and say. And I've really, tried throughout the whole process to be like, but is that what I actually believe? Is that what I would actually represent? And how do I stick with what I actually feel? And so there's all this groups and entities pressuring you. And then you have the other side trying to like pigeonhole you. I mean, most candidates for public office would not do a weekly podcast where they can potentially say something that somebody from the other side could cut and clip and i mean who knows maybe the other side will like take one of these podcasts and like put seven of my words together that will turn out to be something that's totally different than what i said so i think that most people get into this also kind of fear mode where they don't want to open themselves up because who knows what somebody's going to do with that information and so there's times when we're doing this podcast where i'm like oh boy i have to be a little bit careful how i say this you know um, and it's not because that's my natural nature, but it's because you're all of a sudden in a position where somebody could really take advantage of that. And then the last thing I would say is just that when you're on the doors with voters and when you're talking to people, what I realized is that there are a lot of people out there who are really engaged and they want to have real conversations and they have particular issues that they care they care about. And then there's a lot of people for a lot of reasons who are completely disengaged and who are really not that informed and sort of 
Um, they don't feel empowered to really be part of the process or they're the kind of people who are like so busy. They don't really have time to pay attention to the candidates. And with those people, I end up walking away just being like, well, hopefully on that day, they'll pick my name as opposed to the other name. Maybe they'll think it's a cool name, you know? And that's a weird sensation to be like, I might get elected with a large number of people voting for me, not because they know who I am or what I believe in, but because of some other phenomenon. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, and that's they, weird because it's like, okay, so what does that mean? Yeah, name you know? recognition is an interesting one. Party line voting is an interesting one. We have a couple of races, actually, that are going to test both of those theories Absolutely. pretty strongly. House District 82 with Sam Hunthausen and Jenny Eck mm-hmm. because Sam has the Hunthausen last name, but Jenny's the Democrat. And Sam's yeah, is a Republican. Absolutely. And um, then we have uh, Michael Fassbender and uh, Andy Hunthausen. It's mm-hmm. amazing that both Hunthausen are involved <laughs> in this. Um, and they both have name recognition, Michael, because he shares the name with an Oscar winning star. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, yeah, do they think they're going to be voting for the Oscar winning star, you think? I don't know. I think it's just that I've heard of him in, in a I think it's, you know, because it's yeah. not, it's not a conscious thing. It's a subconscious thing is, have I heard this name before? Yes. Was it in mm-hmm. a good way? Yes. Mm-hmm. Therefore he's a good person. Yeah. And most people I knock and actually talk to, they're really appreciative of, for somebody just coming to the door. I can't tell you how many people are like, Oh, somebody's never come to my door or, Oh, I only vote for people who do come and talk to me. So there's, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a ton of really engaged people, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of people who really don't care that much about politics, which is fine. Um, you <laughs> no, know, it's not. I know some no, of those people. No, I know some of those people. people. <laughs> those people are the problem. <laughs> Kevin, if you are not involved on. in politics, then you get the leadership that you deserve, and that, therefore you. But that's true. But I can tell you, it. as somebody who's been involved in politics for a long time. It's exhausting. Sometimes it exhausting. I would love to just like tune if, out and be like, I don't but care look, anymore. If more people were involved in it, I think it would be better because if more people were involved, we'd have less up for, uh, from the vocal minorities at either side of the spe- yeah. spectrum. We'd have more of the people I'm definitely in the middle not going, disagreeing shut with you. up. I'm definitely not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying I can see why people want to distract themselves with other things because this politics game is, I mean, have you watched TV lately? Uh, Anybody who watches TV is ready to vomit Reberg and Tester commercials. I know. You know? I know. So, and they're in the same ad block. So the ad block is just... <laughs> generally two minutes long it's four ads and, and it generally both. goes tester reberg reberg tester, tester or exactly. does the reverse or and now bullock like, hill oh, bullock hiller i haven't the... seen any of those yet oh yeah I, there's I'm a ton very happy to have not so seen it's like those. tester reberg get, bullock and, hill tester reberg bullock hill and tester, I, from reberg. what i understand um uh there's five hundred and seventy thousand dollars worth of ads bought for the ag's AG race. race yeah I mean, that's the thing is, and so I look at that. that's I another I still think example. our new law should be in place that for every dollar you spend on advertising in a political... You have uh, to give away something. You have to give a dollar to a charity. And yeah. it has to be an approved charity, not just any 501c3. It has to be an approved charity, like Girl Scouts or uh, not, <laughs> not the Boy Catholic Scouts. Church. Um, well, eh, Boy Scouts has some work that they need to do yeah. to fix themselves. But, you know, campfire kids. But that's whatever, another perfect example. Around. Nobody in politics right now is working harder than Pam Busey. Right. Nobody. And she's working her tail off. She's been working her tail off for a year. She travels constantly. She's constantly in the world. She's doing the most she can to raise money. And I'm not just saying this because she's a friend, but because, like, objective observers agree that she's working her butt off. Right. She She may not win because all of this money is going into advertising and whatever. And there'll be this influence on people that will happen. And so then you have the, an election that's determined by that. Here's the interesting question that I have for you. And this is, I've been pondering this for a couple of weeks and, I, and trying to figure out how to structure the question is still part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But in 1976 is when the Supreme Court ruled that money was speech. Mm-hmm. How, how does that just, I don't understand. I don't, I've read the ruling mm-hmm. and I, I understand the words in the ruling. I still mm-hmm. don't understand where they came up with this idea, though. And I don't understand how we can square it with, you know, with what we have going on. I mean, I can see a solution to getting rid of money in politics. It's very simple. The public owns the airwaves. Therefore, for each well, race, you get a certain number of ads. I have and to that's say it. that money equals speech is a very capitalistic definition, right? right. So part of why we got there. I'm sure is constitutional and blah, blah, blah. But it's also a theory of um, capitalism, right? So what you're describing, public airways, that sort of, that is what a lot of people would call Socialist. something else. <laughs> they would call that socialism. See, I'm not even going to say society. that word because somebody will clip it and put it on repeat and be like, I am a socialist. I am a socialist. That's, <laughs> See, now you're that's <laughs> Yes. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome, Republicans. You can just use that on loop. Anyways, yeah. the point is that that 
I mean, obviously, there's a lot of things that would be dealt with differently, I think, if we didn't have this, like, capitalism as the form of government. I mean, to a well, certain extent, we it. have a capitalistic Capital- form of government. And we shouldn't. The government is a democratic republic. Mm-hmm. We are not a capitalist country. We have a capitalist economy. That's a difference of opinion for a lot of people. Well, I mean, I agree yes, with but you. My but my opinion think, is right. <laughs> I know. And I agree conveniently. But I think that a lot of people, um, it really comes down to that. And well, so I would, I complete, I would like to point out to all of those about, people, if yeah. you're going to worship at the almighty dollar, mm-hmm. stay out of the church, go yeah. to the IRS. That's where you pray. You pray well, at the IRS. And so especially when we talk about politics or any other sort of public news, this, that, and the other, like... Yes, the Supreme Court ruled money equals speech, and I don't have the thing memorized to be able to explain why, but I think underlying that, when we look at campaign finance and when we look at these different things about monopolies of the airways and newspapers and all that kind of stuff, I just read a quote, I was looking at this thing today, and it was like, remember that this many radio stations and this many television stations and this many newspapers and this many whatever are owned by three corporations. Right. It was some weird thing I was reading. That many whatevers are owned by three corporations. Corporations, I keep calling them. Corporations. And what does that mean? Well, that means the but nobody wants to have that conversation, right? But so it's not government controlled. So that's the thing, though. And I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. But you have capitalism, which unregulated ends up being just a different version of controlling the market. Like their opinion of government controlled market would be a, the same thing as any um, monarchy because you end up with uh, the bear rubber barons. Right. Well, and in the same way that the opposition says no government run, blah, blah, blah. So no, we can't have government funded um, elections or no, we can't have government funded news media, whatever. What happens is because they're owned by corporations, it's just a different form of quote-unquote government. It's just a different entity that's really governing the whole darn thing that doesn't necessarily have the public interest at heart. Right, they have the dollar Exactly. So, but I think that's what it comes down to. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure about this. As an elected state representative... I'm not really going to have any influence over any of that. <laughs> you know, there might be a particular I would like to point bill. out you're not stopping there. Um, there might You've be a particular bill where I'll be able to like, Look, yes, it, it's like capitalism. The, it, but in reality, I'm pretty sure that state legislator doesn't change the economic system in the country. Right. Unfortunately. Well, but, you know, it's got to start somewhere. And then just mm-hmm. like being a gladiator in ancient Rome, you didn't play in the Colosseum on day one. Right. <laughs> but Hopefully by the time I you got there. I will not have to face a lion at some point, but. Oh, you will. It could be otherwise known as XYZ Tea Party or from wherever. Exactly. So, well, you know, that's politics for the week. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's all the politics. Oh, what so else? There's, I think there's some good news. Um, oh, do I think, share. Do share. Again, um, I haven't seen Twitter for the, the, the since the play started, really. I've just been blah, running in circles. Well, I think a couple good things happened. Um, the... Governor candidates had their first debate, which was I didn't on get to go Tuesday night. I also I, did not get to go. But I went to uh, Denise's little event beforehand, oh, and then I went to dinner with a friend. Oh well, <laughs> I was like, well, I could go to the governor's could, debate, but I you, just can't. At go. this point, you don't even have to go to events. You can just read things afterwards to really get the gist of it. Especially mm-hmm. through Twitter, you get like a play-by-play. Which at the governor's debate, there was quite this little rivalry going between the Republican Party tweeter and everybody else you know who was the, the republican, republican party tweeter? i don't know i'm sure it's bowen or somebody but um they were just you should go back if you can just like read their feed from that day because they were just like on steve you know just meh, 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 meh. um so apparently the debate was really interesting and uh you know i'm sure differing opinions exist in terms of how it went for either candidate but i'm glad to see that the candidates both of them are actually starting this debate series i think there's supposed to be like seven or something which i think we get too far down the road when we have that many debates because yeah, at, the, at debate four three, you've already but... heard all the inter- answers you know well, all the answers that they get given to a debate format. Of course, right. our debate format still sucks. Yeah. I'm sure they did it with that. But I'm I do think that either one... Have two minutes yeah. to answer. Either one, either way, uh, the fact that they're having to go on record with what they actually believe and what they plan to do, and I think that's all really good. That is really good. And I know that Denise has a um, debate. debate with uh, Sandy Welch. Mm-hmm. And that's on Tuesday? Is that right? Tuesday, Tuesday the 25th. Yeah. I'm not sure if the AG candidates are debating. I haven't heard. Um... <sighs> <laughs> so I ran into Tim Fox, uh-huh. you know, because he coaches at Carroll, and um, and he's a friend. He coaches what at Carroll? Track and field. 
Okay, wow. so here's a funny look. Let me back Tim up to... Tim Fox is an attorney and a track and field coach. Yeah, so let me back up a couple... Uh, cross country as well. Um, huh. So he... Uh, was when he ran against Bullock uh-huh. at, the, at the last campaign. And um, at one point, you know, they had the tracker assigned to him. And it was some poor little kid who probably looks like me in the Democrat Party, you know, <laughs> pudgy guy with a camera, told to follow him at the parade, uh, one of the parades to town. I'm assuming it was the um, Stampede, Stampede or, or something, mm-hmm. the one that we were in. Um, and they were told to follow him. Well, he realizes this kid is following him. He's a track coach. He can move. <laughs> so he's zipping up and down and, you know, kind of staying in the same place as the Republicans, but he's going up and he's running. coming back. Da, da, da. And he's basically running an extra, you know, the, the parade is probably two miles long and, or a mile and a half long. And he's probably put in 15 miles at the, by the end of the thing. And this poor kid's just trying to follow him with a camera. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, so I feel bad for some of the trackers. It's like, do some research on your people and know that, hey, he's a What if a track I have coach? a tracker? Do you think I have a tracker yet? I don't yet? see anybody here. Hello, tracker. <laughs> I don't think I have a tracker yet. But the who knows what's going to happen up. in the last month and a half. <laughs> the squirrels I have, have been to really be up. careful. Right. Um, exactly. But that's not actually a squirrel. That's a camera. You are, you, think... are you working with the other side? Are you actually filming me during this too? No, no. And so, <laughs> no. Um, so what's funny is that I think, you know, doing basic research on your candidate, you know, knowing that they volunteer as a track coach at Carroll would be right. an important <laughs> thing to know. Hmm. Especially in terms of who you hire as tracker. Right. So anyway, but I was talking to him because I was asking why he hadn't been on Politics Boom, mm. the other podcast. And he was like, well, you know, the internet really doesn't matter. Bad idea. Wow. <laughs> He's being told this by his advisors. And his advisors are, one of them is the guy that was really injured in the boat wreck with Reberg. Yeah, because that was smart. Um, and they're saying that the internet doesn't matter, which is really stupid. Mm. Um, because most people our age do not have TV. We do not have cable. We have Hulu. We have mm-hmm. our iPads, our iPhones, our Galaxy 7s. And we watch video online. We listen to podcasts. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. That's how we get our news. Mostly well, when they because say that, they also think there's that, thousands that age range doesn't matter. Right. Well, there's a thousands, there's thousands of companies, public airwaves and, and newspapers and print radio and all, and, uh, all of that. TV that's owned by three companies. And on some level, I think we get that. And that's why we go for our news from blogs and we know who the writer mm-hmm. is and we know what, what their funding is and how they're getting their information. And we know that they're slanted, but we have an idea of why they're slanted that way. And that's an important thing. So, you know, those to dismiss advisors are telling him that because they're banking on a different age group. Right. right. They're thinking that. that the older group is going to vote for him. Mm-hmm. And, and to some extent, I can see that that may happen. But to ignore the people 45 and younger just mm-hmm. because you don't get it. Dumb. Um, Especially then, in terms of building long term likability. Right. Yeah. And then his other con- concern was the one that you just brought up, that they would take the, the show and splice it apart and use it. And I'm like, let them. I'll sue them. It's my show. It's my copyrighted property. Mm-hmm. Do it. I dare you. Mm-hmm. I dare you. You never offered me that. <clears throat> what, that I'd sue you? <laughs> no, that you'd have my back that way. No, I'm sure no, you probably That's did. everybody. That's everybody. <laughs> sure you know, you use, you use my... It is copyrighted property. We're you, telling you, people, do not touch this. You use my show for anything that I don't approve of, and I will have your hide. And I will do it in such a way that is public and painful for you. Mm-hmm. I won't necessarily win the lawsuit. I'll just make it so painful for you that you'll never want to go through it again. <laughs> Take note. Exactly. And that's exactly what So is he still not going to do it? Well, so then he goes, well, you know, and I just don't, he's worried that I'm going to attack him on the show. And I'm like, one, I know you. Has he listened to any of the other shows? He he has. That's the thing. I was like, I have had Bowen on the show. I didn't, didn't attack, attack him. anybody. No, I'm, I'm really pretty good about it, and yeah. and it's difficult sometimes. On that show, <laughs> on this show, on the other yeah, end. this show completely Watch different out. story. <laughs> but you know, my my big question is, you know, how is it? You know, and he was worried about being attacked. I'm like, okay. I would like to point out you're running for the AG. Yeah, you're your entire be job is to defend. The, by implication, that means you're being attacked. Yeah. And if you can't handle one pudgy homo <laughs> on a show talking to you about why you're in politics, right. not about your political leanings, not questioning the fact that you have uh, a side order of bigotry that you won't even admit to because mm-hmm. you don't believe in equal rights for gays, mm-hmm. but. How can you even think that you can defend the state in any way, shape, or form if you can't handle handle sitting down and talking with me, Mm -hmm. knowing full well that I'm not going to attack you? Right. Well, maybe you're going to have to start doing like, and him and other people. Who well, no, I'm just, just having Pam on again. We're going to talk about him. Right. That's all there well, is to it. And, but I was going to say, you could start, for those people who refuse to come on, you could do like the David Letterman thing with Oprah, where every show you just start talking about the people who won't come on. <laughs> <And be laughs> well, like, but I'm going to bring the people, people that are running are against them. 
afraid to come I'm going to bring the, the people that are running against them that aren't afraid to come on. And we're right. actually going to talk about that candidate. Right. You know, and that's that's a perfect time for them to open up and say, this is where they're wrong. This is what they can't do. This is what they've never done. All of those things that people are not hearing because the candidates aren't going to say the bad mm-hmm. things about themselves. But if they aren't going to be here to talk about the good things about themselves, open rain. Open rain. <laughs> so, Tim, did you hear that? Hmm. He probably won't listen he to won't this. He won't listen to this show. No. He th- we're probably a little too left for him. Although anybody out there who is so in contact with him who hears the show. I don't know if and Tim are uh, debating at some point. I, I don't know if they are either. I it know that they had they talked about it at one point, but uh, I don't know what's going on with that. I did talk to um, Denise's campaign manager, uh, Alex. Mm-hmm. And she was, uh, I said, you know, do you want the um, debate webcast? Because you're not going to do that many of them, are you? Right. She's like, I think there's only two. Um, has Denise yeah, agreed to be on Politic Tick Boom yet? She has. We're actually recording next week, I believe, the day awesome. after the debate. Um, but they wanted to webcast the debate because it's like, well, yeah, we'd love it to be able to be seen by everybody. I'm like, everybody should be doing this. This is not that hard, people. No. It's not that we hard. We were really wishing the governor debate would have been on the internet or something on Tuesday, and it wasn't. And, and it was run by lead newspapers, that's why. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't figured out that even though they're a newspaper company by birth, they are a media company by growth. And they need to treat all media equally. They need to be making podcasts of their Mm -hmm. news. They need to be making videos of their news. They need to, everything they do should be in all three formats. Well, if they don't figure it out, somebody else will and take over, so. Right. And that's just it. You know, as as soon as somebody figures it out. But, you know, I figured it out. I just don't have the money to do it. (laughs) So the other positive thing I want to talk about is, I don't know if you read, but Governor Schweitzer announced this morning that he has a budget proposal to Tuition. tuition. And that actually is an extension of um, earlier this week, the Democrats unveiled their plan, their jobs plan. So those readers or listeners who don't know, the Democrats toured the whole state for about nine months, going to different communities, talking to people in the community about what they thought would lead to economic development and more jobs. And, um, you know, good for the Democrats for doing that. The Republicans, of course, are doing their own thing a different way. But um, the Democrats released a jobs plan, which um, I actually haven't had a chance to read through all the way, but I'm sure there's some good stuff in there. But one of their suggestions was this tuition thing. So, so here's knew, the thing that bothers me about the from, concept but... of tuition freeze mm-hmm. uh, is not not the idea behind you know freezing the cost of going to college. It's that they call it a tuition freeze. And then the Board of Regents get ar- gets around that by freezing tuition, but raising every other cost to go to college. Mm. You know, your fees for walking on the grass go up. Your right. fees for breathing the air on campus go up. <laughs> Are you a pessimist or No, I'm what? not a pessimist. I just, I went to school in this state. I know, I know exactly how they do it. And be, in between the first semester that I went to and the third semester that I went to, my tuition did not go up. Right. But every other fee more than doubled. Yeah. And, you know, so my cost went up considerably. And that's one of the things that pisses me off about it. It's like, well, okay, then let's actually call it what it is. All of this, all of this other stuff is tuition as well. Mm-hmm. So you either make it part of the core tuition and it gets frozen, or you don't call it a tuition freeze. You actually call it an expense to go to school freeze, and you freeze everything. Right. Well, I mean, and that's a good point. Maybe that's included somewhere. Or maybe it's just a tuition freeze. I don't well, know. Well, see, and I, I think, think it's just a tuition freeze. And looking at the cost per hour, the tuition's fairly inexpensive. It's the rest of the fees that go out of line. It's ridiculous. Yes. Kelson's giving me this look. Uh, that, now I wish I was recording you on camera because she's giving me this look where I might not be dead, but I'd be wounded. Well, how am I going to argue with what you're saying? Because, of course, I'm well, not supposed to, to argue. Too. And I absolutely agree with you. I was actually, the visual in my head was, well, I can pay this like flat tuition that's going to be frozen. But I remember when I was at U of M, like, I think the first year I went there, the parking permit was like $30 a year. And now it's probably $3,000 a year oh, for a parking ridiculous. permit. It's so ridiculous. it's like, I can pay tuition and I can, you know, go to school, but I have to like basically been dropped in from somewhere else because I can't park anywhere. I can't take the bus. I can't whatever, you know? Right. So, well, it's a good idea. And um, if I'm elected and considering the tuition freeze, I will also ask about whether or not we can look at other expenses. Well, but see, I don't think But I think can. that's determined by the university itself. So. No. Well, here's the thing. It's not determined by well, it can be. It's proposed by the university and it's approved by the but Board of Regents. But all fees and yep. stuff? Yep. Really? Yep. 
every change in every change in the structure of payments go to the university has to go through the board of regents. Well, right. then the advocacy point is the board of regents for that. Right, and the issue. board of regents is, has let you know. This is why when we did our constitutional vote last time, and we said, "Well, we'll keep the constitution this time," I was like, eh, "I can't. Twenty years is going to be too long to do this." But the board of regents needs to be reined in. They're idiots. They're idiots. That's all there is to it. Hey, now. It's true. I'm sorry. But anybody who spends $300,000 for new signs when they're having to raise tuition because they don't have enough money to get for people to stay at the schools Mm -hmm. is an idiot. You don't pay for new signs at a school. You don't change the name of the school or nine schools throughout the state because you just want to change the name knowing that it's going to be an expense. They have to get new letterhead. They had to get new websites. They have to get new signs on the streets Mm -hmm. for how to get to the campuses. All of that stuff costs money. And instead of just going, you know what, we'll do it later. We want to do this, but we'll do it later at a time when we can't afford it. We cannot afford it right now. Tuition cannot be raised. Mm -hmm. Instead, that's exactly what they did. They threw tuition out the window and they said, well, we have to have a better name. And the name they came up with here in Helena, HCOM. Helena College of the University of Montana, HCUM. Not kidding. $100,000 for that, people. (laughs) $100,000. And it's orange. And gray. I would like to point out that's just wrong. I would like to point out that anybody who's listening to this, I did not say that about the Board of Regents. I will. Every single, you know, and if I meet them in person, I would say that. The, the only you know, reason I'm saying that is because, anyway. A, I'm working, trying to get the Board of Regents to do something regarding sexual assault. And so I need them to still talk to me. And B, my aunt used to be a Board of Regents and she was a chair for a while. And um, I, I heard, bet if you ask her, she'd say the same thing. I bet. And this, she's not on the Board of Regents anymore. So she was not part of the H-Come decision. No. But um, I know firsthand from her how difficult some of those processes were. The thing that's interesting about the Board of Regents is it's a, an appointed board from mm-hmm. the governor. Um, now, they're appointed by the governor, but they're not approved by the Senate, are they? No. No, they're just appointed by the governor and but, then they run amok. And, and, and they have these really long terms, too. So, like, just because Schweitzer appoints somebody, like... There's still people on the board who may have been from somebody else. You know, there's all still that people kind of on stuff. the board from definitely from Martin. There may still be people on the board from, uh, yeah, uh, Roscoe. Yeah, I think my aunt was a Roscoe appointee back in the day. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, I just I've seen firsthand how much she worked and how hard she struggled to get things right. And she's a very progressive person who tried to do the right thing. And part of what's difficult is you have all these people on that board who have very and I don't know if that's true right now, but I would assume so. Very opposing views of what it should be like. So it's really hard to make any progress on well, the Board of Regents. But, but here's, here's the basic thing that, that I get with. And, H-C-U-M and, thing yeah. sounds like a bad idea. Well, you know, the basics of it is at some point they got so wrapped up into completely unrelated issues that they thought that this would be a good one to pass without stopping. Nobody stopped and took a breath mm-hmm. and said, wait. We're having to raise tuition at our campuses. We're going to turn around then and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to rename campuses that don't need new names necessarily. And while we'd like them, we understand the marketing value of changing the names. Probably should do more research because they're HCUM. But more is that in, their argument is that it was about marketing? That, yeah, they they think it's a, it, well. What that was, was their, it, it was UM was, Helena College of Technology, right? Well, it used to be uh, Helena Votech. Let's start with back when it changed. Right. You and, know, and by the way, most people still call it Votech. Right. <laughs> like all of the Votechs, they still call Votechs, even right. though there's something and, else. Now. And they're like, well, we don't want to call it a Votech. We need to make sure it's a university. No, make it a Votech. That's a perfectly legitimate form of school, and people should be going to school. A post secondary education is important in some on some level. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, even though I don't have degree the stuff that i got out of college although not necessarily in the book you know very useful to Mm -hmm. me but you look at some of the stuff that they've done you know and i was i was actually in college when they were doing the changeover from uh you know it used to be uh northern was its own institution uh, eastern was its own institution western was its own institution you know and they they stood on their own they weren't as big as Missoula or Bozeman, but they were their own institutions. They were not subject to these other institutions. Right. And then they subjected them to the other institutions, and now it's MSUB, which, whatever. It needs to be Eastern. It's an NCAA uh, Division One school. Make it happen. Get a group, you people. Um, you know, and the other schools, yeah, they're a little bit smaller. I think you should try to get appointed to the Board of Regents. I should. I, and ITSD. After the, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, after you go to the IT, IT department, then you could be like, that. thanks, Governor, blah, blah, blah. Now I would like to be on the 
board of regents. Yeah, let me fix this other thing. And and that's just it. And I have no problem with looking at people that have a PhD and going, no, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You may be very well educated in the area in which you got your doctorate, but you are an idiot in this. <laughs> that's all there is to it. You're being an idiot. And if you can't see that... I think you're so much more animated today because you've been doing the play the last few days because you're like, you are all sorts of worked up and, and I love it. Oh, I was worked up yesterday. <laughs> I think Price. you're, I mean, generally you are worked up, but it's kind of like the old Kevin is back. <laughs> <laughs> you're calling people idiots a lot more than usual. Well, but they are. They're being idiots. And I expect people to look at me when I'm being an idiot and go, hey, shut up. You're being an idiot. Okay, tell me how. And, you know, generally I can, I'm self-aware enough to listen Mm-hmm. And to figure out, oh, okay, I should probably shut up now. <laughs> you know, and apologize for when you're out of line. But right now, I'm sorry, there's nothing to apologize with the Board of Regents right now because they just spent a ton of money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people that don't care. <laughs> just FYI, that's exactly what you did. And on that note, is that it? Did this end well? <laughs> Well, it's an hour now, so we should probably leave them with something oh, um, Leave them hanging positive. or leave them laughing. Yeah, that's it. So there it is, people. That was my wisdom for the week. Thank you. If you agree that Kevin was more animated today, let us know. Yeah, and please listen to the show. Actually, um, so you know who else has agreed to be on Politictic Boom? Who? Jamie. I know. When's that being recorded? Uh, next, Jamie's next week as well. And then, um, actually, I'm recording a show tomorrow with Nikki Zupanik. Oh, yeah. I work with so Nikki all the time. I guess we will have, two, which will be nice because that'll actually put me back up with the same number of shows as number of weeks because we will have three Politictic Booms coming out next week. Awesome. Because I have people and scheduled Jamie the week after, too. just gotten back from the White House. He's in D.C. with very fancy socks. Uh-huh. And I... And I've met... Um, VP Biden several times because as the Violence Against Women Act like originator, mm-hmm. I've met him several times over the years, but I saw that Jamie met um, Dr. Biden, his wife. Yeah. So that's really exciting. I'm excited for him and um, he'll be able to tell you all about it when he comes back. That'll be awesome. Hey, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. And this is pseudo related. Does anybody actually call the vice president's wife the second lady? I, I saw don't that think in I print. Would want to I saw that in print, that. and I was like, I don't think so. We no. we do not have a number right. two. <laughs> Second lady meaning mistress. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've called other people in the past second lady and meant a whole different thing. But yeah, no, so I, don't I would so never either. call no, somebody second lady. <sighs> It'll be interesting. Can't wait for our first gay president. Yay! Well, it'd technically be our second gay president, but first I would like gay. a gay and a woman. Yes. Not, they don't have to be in the same necessarily, hmm. although that would be nice too. That would be that would be an interesting change. Oh jeez. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. <laughs>